Amen. Thank you, guys. We, um, so if it's a little cold in here, sorry, uh, this morning when I got here, the, the heat was not on. <laughs> so <laughs> I went running downstairs. I, it's funny, like two days ago, Cindy, I said, well, I sure hope the heat works this Sunday. <laughs> it wasn't. But somehow a breaker trip to life happens. So it takes a while. It's warning, but it takes a while. It's 10 degrees warmer than it was in here right now. So, Oh, where's my notes? Next week, again, is you know being our last official service, uh, it would be nice. If anyone wishes to share, please let me know. Just we'll have some time for sharing, you know, at the end of the service. And um, just let me know that, you know, we just want to open that up to anybody who wants to. If you're not comfortable coming up here, but want to write something and have somebody read it, you can do that too. <laughs> or you can even videotape you, but that might be more intimidating than anything. What do you mean, this way, that like this? Okay. All right, there, okay. So but that just, that's that. We're going to have lunch after service next week. And then on the first weekend in February, we'll also be having a lunch here. Um, so, and that'll be, what? But no service. That'll be catered by the church. So just to let you know that too. Um, so we, we're, we've been looking three-week series here on the kingdom of God, and um, the first week that we started that, I had mentioned that on this week we would revisit, because I mentioned it, the relationship between the church and the kingdom. And you know, so that's been all planned, and then this week, Cindy likes to, she follows people on whatever, I don't know, substacks and all this other stuff, which I stay away from. Um, but she said, everybody is commenting on the church, meaning the universal church, not like churches, but knowing and understanding and appreciating the church. So it's just one of those things, where, okay, well, that's what I'm talking about this week. So that works out really good. And, and I say I'm going to talk about the church. I mean the capital C church. It's called the invisible church. Some call it the universal church. And then Catholic church, which Catholic just means universal, not denomination. But the universal church that has all are a part of no matter what church you go to. We're not going to talk about our church. That's next week more. We're not going to talk about other churches. We're going to talk about the church. And as you read through the Bible, and you read about the kingdom, and you read about the church, it can at times feel like they're the, the same thing, that you're talking about the same thing, but you are not. The church and the kingdom are not the same thing. They are, and I mentioned this the first week, they are connected completely connected, and they cannot be separated from one another. But they're not, they're two different entities. That's important. I'm going to go back to the quote that we started with three weeks ago. It's by Scott McKnight. 
and if be on the first slide there, it says, people use the word kingdom for everything we like about the Christian faith. People use the church for everything they dislike about the Christian faith. And there are a lot of people who don't like the church. And I understand that and understand why people feel that way. I, I, I think it, it, there are real reasons for people to feel that way. And the reality is, is many people have been hurt, wounded, offended by not the church, but some church, somewhere. You know, I, I'm amazed at how many stories of people who've come into our church I have heard about having been the, the reason they showed up is because they were hurt or wounded somewhere else. And then I have heard stories of people who have left our church, <laughs> who have been hurt, offended, or wounded in our church. And, you know, there's a, a real good reason why if, if you have been wounded in a church, you are not alone. Many people have, and there's a really good reason. One very specific reason, and you all probably know what this is, churches are made up of something. What are those somethings? People. People hurt and wound. It's what we do. We're good at that. And I, I would say that and, and to put this on us, even, is my opinion, what I've noticed, is that every one of us either has, or if you have not, you will sometime offend, hurt, and wound people in a church. It's just a reality. All of us. It's sad and discouraging that church has caused many people to give up on going to church. I mean, that's, you know, that is such a discouraging thing, but I, I get the problem. I, I, you know, I've talked so many times with people who, Christians, church goes all their lives, and then stuff happens. Political stuff in the church happens, and People turn on people in a church, it happens. And then it takes a long time to get back into it if they do. The problem, though, is some give up on the church. Now, I'm just going to say the church. When I say the church, I am not talking about any specific church, but that entity that is the universal church of God. And... To give up on the church, the church, well, that is concerning and worrisome. That is not a good thing. Now, many, if not most, of those folks who say they didn't, they have not given up on Jesus, and, and I'm sure that's true. But here's the problem is they fail to understand that the church is the body 
of somebody named Jesus. So you cannot remain connected to Jesus if you are disconnected from the church because they are connected completely and always. Today I'm going to give a biblical theological, do a biblical theological look at the church. But before I do, I want to do four practical ways just for our own thinking of how we offend. I'm not going to go as much into specifics, but just things that we could all relate to and understand. And the first one is this. We offend in ignorance. And, and that could be very innocent. You know, you, you, you go to where, wherever you are, wherever you're, you know, people at work or that you hang out with somewhere, and you, are, you don't have all the information about those people. You're not up on everything. You're ignorant about some things. And just so happens that somebody just finalized a divorce. You don't know that. You're at lunch, and you start talking about how you're having this great series at church and how you can divorce-proof your marriage. And now if you just follow these rules, you can divorce-proof your marriage. And you are, you are, you are ignorant to what's going on in this other person's life. And it's, but probably hurts because you say there's these rules that divorce-proof your marriage and they didn't follow them. I would say, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I remember series on divorce-proofing your marriage, drug-proofing your kids, and I would say from now until the rest of eternity, no pastor should really ever title a series like that. The next one is similar, only different. We, off, we, we also offend, in, and I don't know if Cindy said this was a word, so it must be, in obliviousness. And what I mean by that is that's not always innocent. What I mean by that is sometimes we are so wrapped up in ourselves or our opinion or our anxiety or our fear or our importance, or the importance of what we have to say, that we fail to read the room, that we fail to get facial expressions, body language. We fail to understand the context that we are in. And, and if that's that, if that's something we do, that is a personal weakness. We need, it's, we need to learn and not be oblivious to other people's body language, other people's, you know, facial expressions and, and all of that stuff. That, that is our responsibility. 
We can't do it all the time. Some people won't ever give it to us. But it's, it's important for us to be aware so that we know, oh, wait a minute, this isn't going right. Something isn't working here. Stop. The response I'm getting from you isn't what I would think it would be. There's a, and we need to, okay, why is that? Whoa, wait, wait a minute, what, what am I missing? And that's where we ask questions. Some of you are really good at that. But it's really the only way to get to that. A third way is sort of like that one, only worse. And that is we offend in arrogance. We communicate what we believe is right and truth in a way that puts people down shames and guilts them and manipulates them. And let me say this, even if what you're communicating is right, you are wrong. Okay? Even if what, you, if, if what you're communicating is right, but it is insulting others, putting others down, dehumanizing others, it is wrong. doesn't matter what you're saying. What you are doing trumps what you are saying. And then the fourth one is the lesser, but still a problem. Some, and probably all of us at some time or another, but some people more than others, and some really way too much, we think we offend when we have not. And if, like me, you have a problem with that, <laughs> that's an unhealthy thing. Now, I know I struggle with that. I'm always thinking that. And, and that's not a healthy thing. Now, if you never have thought that, well, you may want to reconsider. <laughs> but there you go. So now, my goal, we're going to jump into some verses here. My goal is to help us all have a deeper, develop a deeper in appreciation for the church, not our church, the church. And I believe it is crucial for our spiritual well-being. If we maintain a negative opinion of the church, it will hinder us in our relationship with God. So... And so I'm just going to, verses that help us develop an appreciation. So the first one we talked last week, Revelation 21. We're going to go back to that, have it on the screen. I just read it last time. And this is about the new heavens and the new earth. I know you all went back and you read this chapter and looked at all the things that would not be in the new heavens and the new earth. So I'm glad you've done that. Um, it's, it's really exciting to do that. But in verse 1, after he talks about new heavens and new earth, he says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned, adorned for her husband. And I read that, and I thought, I missed that. It was like, boom, oh, 
Look at that. After this, now, that should give us a hint, right? There's a little hint going, going on here. After this, he talks about all the things that will not be there. And then in verse 9, he says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven, the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So we know now this, this, the bride of Christ is what we're talking about. The lamb is Jesus. The bride of Christ is what? The church. Ephesians 5 makes that very clear. So he's going to show him the church. And here's what he says. And he carried me away, John that is, in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And what did he show him? He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So we need to have a deep appreciation for the church because we will be in it for all eternity, <laughs> forever and ever. We will live in not this building, praise God, that we won't live here <laughs> without heat. We will live with God in the church. One of a theologian who focuses on church theology that I really appreciated, this is a quote on the next slide, Patty. Hopefully it comes up. Yeah. It says, is the church to be seen as an instrument to accomplish God's purpose in creation, or is the church the expression of God's ultimate purpose itself. Now, that is one of those trick quotes <laughs> where, you know, it kind of sets you up. And, of course, we look at that and we think, yes, in context of what he's writing, which I don't want to read the entire book and put it up there. He's talking about the nature of the church. It's essence, it's being. He's talking about what the church is, not how the church should function or what the church should do. So in light of that, it's the second part that he is showing is accurate. But I would say, after thinking through this, I, I realized, I thought back, and I thought, I have never heard a sermon on the nature of the church. The official word is ontology. And I've never given one. I have heard many and talk often on how the church should function. And that's valuable and really important. But before we know what to do and how to do it, we need to understand what it is. It's really important to know what God created when he created the church. See, Christians will dis we need to start with what it is and then get to what we do with it. Once we know what it is, then we'll know what to do with it. Christians will disagree on what the church should do, and that's okay. 
That's why we have all these different kinds of churches in the world. But there are things about the nature of the church that we all need to agree on. In the creeds, it's we have one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And there's a lot in that statement. We're not going to go into all of that. But there is a lot there when it's understood and not thought of as a denomination. The next passage on the next slide is in Ephesians. Ephesians is, is Paul's theology of the church. That's the best way to look. The first three and a half chapters are about the nature of the church, the essence of the church, what it is. And then he goes into the practicalities of the church after that. And he says here this in verse 4 of chapter 1. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. Us there, you know, when we read this, we've talked about this a lot. These are all plural. He is writing this to the church. This letter would have been circulated. The word in Ephesians, I mentioned this when we went through Ephesians, is not there. It's just written to the church. Ephesians was the hub of many churches. So he sends it there to Timothy. So this tells us that before the foundation of the world, this whole concept of the church was in God's mind. God is thinking about the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. He goes on, lays out all these blessings, and then he says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet at the end of the chapter, as a head over, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus reigns over all things for the benefit of the church. He lists all these benefits he gives to us as members of his church, his body. And his reign and his rule, the purpose of it is our benefit. To benefit us, to give us all of these blessings through in the church. In chapter 3, Paul tells us how God creates the church by bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together into one family, into one people of God. In Paul's world, there was Jew and Gentile. Now, and actually, I've got this wrong. I'm in chapter 2. I skipped the chapter there was Jew and Gentile. If you were a Jewish, you were part of the people of God. If you were a Gentile, you were not. That's all there is to it. Now, unless the Gentile converted to become a Jew, you were not. And then Paul in chapter 2 just says, okay, that's all over. Now, everyone 
is brought in to become part of the people of God. Jew and Gentile alike. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. This is the church. One. Both groups. We have all kinds of groups in our world, don't we? In the world of the Bible writers, there were two, and two only, Jew and Gentile. Gentile mean non-Jew. And those were the only two, but now those are all brought together into one. And then he goes on, he says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. That's a lot to talk about what we're not. But this, so that in himself... He might make the two, now look at this, into one new humanity. That is, right now, somebody needs to yell, bingo! Because that's what everything, amen. That's what everything is all about. And bingo was his name. Oh. <laughs> Amen. Um, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. The church is a new is a new humanity. God created Adam and Eve and humankind in his image. All humans are created in God's image. Therefore, we should dehumanize no one. We should honor and respect all because they are in God's image. All people are in God's image. Not all people are in Christ. And that is a notch or a step or two or three up. We are a new humanity. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. The new Adam. And we, when he appears, will not be like Adam and Eve. We will be like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is, and we will be like him. The next chapter three, Paul talks about how he has preached the kingdom of God, preached the gospel, and how to the Gentiles, he was called to the Gentiles to bring it all about, to for this to happen, and then he says these words. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So if we were going back to page 1-1, and verse 1 of the, of the first words of the Bible in, on page 1 is, in the beginning, there was a secret 
there was a secret that God had, and he didn't mean like, oh, I got a secret you don't know. It was a mystery. The very beginning. It's kind of like the, this is the original conspiracy theory. Only it's not weird. It's the best conspiracy theory. It's really not a conspiracy. And then he says this, and I love this. In order that the manifold wisdom of God, and manifold, I, this is the New American here, and I think it says the whole verse right, but you know, for me, a manifold is just something on a car, and I have absolutely no idea where it is or what it does. So it means nothing to me when I read that. But other versions use the word multifaceted. It's that to me, you know, you think of a diamond and, you know, and it's just got all of these incredible sides to it, aspects of it. The multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church exists for this purpose, to reveal all that God is to the world. That's how God chooses to reveal himself to the world. That was God's plan from the very beginning of creation. To reveal himself through, not a bunch of places with buildings and people, but this new humanity that welcomes, make, brings all into his family to be his people. Patty, I think the next slide is a quote. Yes. The world does not know of any other Christ except the Christ that is embodied in the church. And I hope that scares you. Not in a bad way. That is the only way in one sense. Let me see. God shows. Not, I know God reveals himself and will. I'm not denying any of that. He can come to anybody. But his purpose and plan is to do it through partnering with the church. He just says it. It's just so clear in Scripture. You know, I think sometimes, and this is good too, this I'm not, not something I'm putting down, we'll say something like, you know, you may be the only that person, you may be the only Jesus that person ever meets, kind of a thing, and all that. And, and I think, I, I get that, and that, you know. But I think we, ought, we need to really think, no, the church is the body of Christ. And it's all over the place comes in all different shapes and sizes. But the church is the way people will meet Jesus for the most part.
heart, the church. Next slide is 1 Peter 2.9. It's very similar. You are a chosen race, talking to the church, all Christians there and wherever he's writing, Asia Minor. You are a chosen race. You ever felt, you know, I felt these forms like medical forms and stuff, and it has race down there. And, you know, lists of them, and there's a couple like non-something, something or other. And so the way they have to write in, so you write in chosen. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that will go over very well. <laughs> but you are, what is your race? Chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Where are you from? I'm from the land of holy. I am a royal priest. You are. We are a new humanity. Think about it. Yeah, we still sin. We, we have all these problems and everything. And someday that will all be gone. And Adam and Eve had mortal bodies. We will have an immortal one that lasts. A spiritual one goes on. And then he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are all these things for this purpose, to proclaim. The word excellencies here is moral goodness. The moral goodness of God. It is the same as when Moses was on the mountain, he said to God, you know, the burning bush and all that stuff. He said, Show me thy glory. And God said, I will let my goodness pass before you. And then he put him behind the rock, put his hand over Moses' eyes, and he passed by and he proclaimed, I am the Lord Almighty, compassionate, merciful, gracious, filled, abounding with loving kindness for all. So we, as the church, are to proclaim that. That's what Peter's saying here. And when we proclaim the gospel, that is the ultimate picture of that. That we are to proclaim God's moral goodness, not just in our words, of course, but in everything. In every way. I, I think sometimes as a church, as people, because in our world there are things that the churches, Christians are doing, driving people away, we feel responsible. And we need not. We need not. We need not make up for that. We need to understand that the church, there is this remnant church 
people who are living out the life of Christ. Jesus is the body of Christ. I mean the church, sorry, is the body of Jesus, of Christ. If that is the case, we, as the church, and even local churches, ought to be about and engaged in what Jesus was engaged in when he was on earth. We need, we need to read and look and see, what, what did he do? Well, we know he proclaimed the kingdom of God. That's what we've been talking about. And again, that is done in numerous ways and in all ways. But we need to be the body, being the body of Christ needs to be holistic, meaning in everything we see Jesus engaging with, not just one or two things that we like and prefer. And I'll just, in closing, give us a few. Proclaiming, proclamation, the kingdom, the gospel, we know that. But that's also, we need to proclaim in such a way as we upend people's notion and understanding about God. So that through our speech, speaking, our words, people are able to see through all the false things said about God to who God really is really clearly seen in Jesus and his life, his death and resurrection. But it's also a clarifying and a correcting of people's understanding and interpretation of Scripture because Jesus did that continually, and we need to do the same. Because there's a lot of stuff being said about Scripture that isn't very helpful. The second thing is we... Jesus battled and defeated the spiritual forces of evil, and we should also. It is our business to be involved with that. We do that numerous ways, through prayer, through engaging the world as an alternative to what they have an alternative culture, an alternative community, an alternative politic, an alternative economic. By confronting religious systems that have gone away from Jesus. Jesus did that throughout his life. He confronted the religious people. We confront the non-religious people. Jesus constantly, con he didn't really care about Rome. I mean, he did, I didn't mean it like that. But it just wasn't on his mind, the Roman Empire and all its evils. What was on his mind was that his people weren't living as God wanted them to live. And then a third thing is we need to perform the life 
of Jesus, the body of Christ, in our actions. Imitate him in our actions. Welcoming outcasts and outsiders. Doing works of ministry, mercy, and compassion. Being engaged in that. And then engaged in justice, works of justice, righteousness, and peace. And what that looks like is going to vary based on who you are and your heart and your passion. And it is just as good as just you personally working with the couple of people that you're caring for as if you start a great ministry. God is not counting how many people you minister to or are engaged with. It's being faithful with these things where God has placed you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I just ask, Lord, that you, you would help us to appreciate what you have done. Lord, we appreciate that you have given us the church because it is your body, because it is your purpose, because it is the place where you dwell. The church now is the temple of Christ, the place where God dwells. Lord, and you want to work through the church. But you also want to work through our churches and us as people as we share together our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I think that this is kind of where our church began, and I think it's a fitting benediction for today, especially after everything that we've heard so far. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are going to...